ahead and take your Bible if you've got one. I hope you have a Bible in some form. Open up to James chapter 5. James chapter 5. My name is Trevor. It's good to be with you this morning. If you are just joining us for the first time, welcome to you. Uh, before you leave this morning, if you're new, we have a table that says next steps. Stop by that table before you leave this morning, and we'd love the chance to give you a gift and also introduce ourselves to you and to help you get connected. So welcome to those of you who are new, who are with us this morning. It is nice to be here in this wonderful weather. Uh, I have an announcement for you, which is I just returned. Yesterday I was in the Bay Area. I flew up yesterday to the Santa Cruz Mountains where I baptized our brother Joshua Ulashian. So let's give it up for that, huh? So when you see the Ulashian family, when they return from Northern California, make sure you celebrate Josh and celebrate David and Carrie and Isabella and Annalise and the Ulashian family. Uh, that was an honor and joy and privilege to be able to do. All right, uh, again, we're going to be in James 5 this morning. Before you're there, I've got an, another announcement for you, which is just about where we're headed as a church. You know, and you've heard now the last couple of weeks, that we are planning on moving our gathering just eight blocks away uh, down to uh, Olympic High School at the corner of Lincoln and Ocean Park. And we are excited to be back indoors as a church. We are excited to kind of move out of what it feels like for us is the end of the pandemic. Again, I recognize that there are still, COVID is still a real thing. It's still getting people. But we are moving in a direction where we really want to lean in to being the church that God has called us to be. And so um, if you are here this morning and you are not someone who is regularly volunteering to help serve, I want to invite you to do that. We are going to need hands on deck in the season ahead. And so uh, we, we're going to need more help in our youth program, with our kids program, on our serve teams. If we're going to be a church that isn't just about ourselves, but is about the city, is about our neighbors, is about the proclamation of the gospel, about inviting people to know Christ, to be discipled, then to be sent into the world, we just are going to need more hands. And so if you go to rc.link and you scroll down, you'll see a little square that says serve. And on that, you can click that button and express interest in any serve team. Maybe you are a, have a hidden talent for playing guitar. Jens would love to connect with you. Maybe you, are, maybe you don't feel like you've got any talents, but you got two hands, our abled body, and a good attitude. You can serve up. You can sign up for any of our other serve teams, right? So all of those serve teams are available. If you love working with kids, Sign up to help serve with kids. But I, I just want to encourage us as a church to really pull together in this next season um, so that we might create the kind of church that God calls us to be, and we can't do it without you. Many churches have 20% of the congregation serving the other 80%. It is my hope and desire that we would flip that that we would be a church where 80% serve the 20%. And so that's my hope for you. So if you're not serving, if you're a member, especially if you're a member, but if you're not a member as well, come and join us and serve with us. And you can get more information at rc.link. Hit the serve button. We are excited about heading in that direction. I look forward to the new instruments we will be adding. Harmonica, anybody? Accordion, anyone? Trombone? Who knows? We'll see what the Lord does. All right, James chapter 5, verses 7 through 12 is where we're going to be this morning. 
We have been in James for the last 10 weeks. We are going to wrap up James next week, but until we get to that point, we find ourselves in the fifth chapter of the book of James. Let me read with you the uh, verses 7 through 12 out of the fifth chapter of James. This is James 5, 7 through 12. This is God's word to us and for us this morning. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You, too, be patient and stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no. Otherwise, you will be condemned. Recently, I was having dinner with some friends, and um, my wife was there. She's also one of my friends. And uh, we were eating uh, a meal that included and involved an opportunity to eat oysters. By show of hands, anybody really like oysters? Almost very few hands. These my oyster lovers out there. My wife had never had an oyster before, and so she made it her goal that evening amongst friends to not only try one, but to allow me to videotape her trying one. She, uh, she ate it, she enjoyed it, and later I was talking to her about why she had avoided eating them all along, because we both grew up in the Bay Area, Northern California, and one of my favorite things to do growing up was to walk along Fisherman's Wharf in San Francisco and eat fresh seafood, including oysters. My wife has had the chance, but she had avoided it, and I'd asked her why. I imagine it was because primarily the texture. After all, if you've never had an oyster, it's hard to explain the texture. It's just sort of slimy and kind of like, sort of like a, an ocean booger, if you will. I know that doesn't sound good at all, but, I, but they are good. I like them. I, I, think, I think they're quite good. But it wasn't actually the texture. What she was afraid of in eating an oyster was primarily the fishy flavor and the potential that she could swallow sand. Now, my wife has multiple allergies. She's allergic to soy and dairy and gluten. But few things in her mouth drive her as crazy as sand. She likes sand at the beach but God help you if you bring sand home. 
and I will be sleeping on the couch if I dared bring sand into our bed accidentally. She just doesn't like sand, and the idea of eating sand is just a nightmare for her. And I explained to her that oysters actually don't have sand inside of them, that they are cleaned on the outside, but their shells uh, prevent sand from getting inside of them. And that's true most of the time. But one out of every 10,000 oysters will get something inside of it that isn't supposed to be there. A piece of sediment, a parasite, a piece of sand. And the oyster will recognize that this thing that's gotten into the crack of its shell, um, it will try to get it out. But when it can't get it out, it will irritate the oyster. And the oyster will begin to cover that thing in this goopy substance over and over and over again. This thing that irritates the oyster. This thing that bothers the oyster. The thing that the oyster wishes wasn't there. The oyster will begin to coat over and over and over and over again with this substance. And every so often, that becomes something that we believe is extraordinarily valuable. That is what a pearl is. Now I bring that up because this morning we're going to talk about patience. And I bet on it that lots of you sitting here this morning have got some things in your life that you feel like aren't supposed to be there. You've got struggles and challenges that you're facing and it's irritating you and you want it to be gone. Some of you, if you could snap your fingers immediately, would change some things about your marriage, about the relationship you've got with your kids, about the job you have, about the size of your bank account, about the way you're treated by your neighbors. And if you could just remove that thing in your life, maybe it's a health obstacle, maybe you want to get pregnant and haven't been able to, Maybe you want healing from a particular ailment and the Lord hasn't given that to you. And if you could snap your fingers, you would have that removed from you. But I want you to hear this morning that God often allows the things that irritate us, the things that annoy us, the things that frustrate us, God allows those to be in our lives because what we see as a problem, he sees as a pearl. He's working something valuable in your life. And it requires patient persistence. That's the title of my sermon this morning. Patient persistence. Patience and persistence turns that obstacle into a pearl. And as we look at James chapter 5, James reminds us over and over again that we are to be patient. Now, occasionally you come across a word in the Bible, and if you are interested, you'll dive deeper into figuring out what that word is, as I did this last week. Patient, the word for patient is a fascinating compound Greek word. It's, it's, it's got these two words in it. It's the word makrothumos. That's the word for patience in Greek. 
And the word macrothumos is these two compound words brought together into one word. Macro means sort of large, or in this case, long, or sort of big. It's the word macro. And then thumos is the word where we get our temperature word from, thermometer from. And that's the word for heat. And so be patient is James's way of saying, be very slow to get angry. Be long-suffering. Be slow to get angry over these things in your life that you wish weren't there. Now, few of us pray for patience. Because praying for patience often means that God will give us things to be patient about. And very few of us want things to be patient about. After all, if being patient means being slow to get angry about something I otherwise would get very angry about, then to pray to be patient is to say, Lord, give me some things that would otherwise make me really angry and then help me to not be angry. Many of us know the lessons already in life about what it's like to have things in your life that you just wish weren't there. In James 5, verse 7, he begins by saying, be patient. Now, if you joined us last week, James was speaking to wealthy landowners. And he said to those wealthy landowners, he warned them about how they used their wealth. And he said, you cannot oppress people. You cannot exploit people. You cannot indulge. right? You cannot hoard. That's what we looked at last week. And if you're if you were sitting and you were listening to this letter read aloud as the first hearers of the letter would have, you would have been listening, hearing James's warning to the wealthy landowners. But many of those who were hearing this letter read for the first time were those on the receiving end of oppression. And as they're listening to James warn the wealthy, they're thinking, what? What do we do with the fact that we are going through difficulties? And James says to them, be patient. He doesn't say, hey, I've got an idea for you. Consider patience. No. He doesn't say, let me make a suggestion. Patience? No. He makes what we call an imperative, which is be patient. Patient, this is not an option. You are commanded in the face of adversity to be patient. And so, we're looking this morning at a text that speaks to those of us who are, who are struggling. And James tells us that if we, if we aren't patient, it actually affects one another. It affects ourselves and one another. He does this in two verses. If you look at verse 9, James makes it very clear. Our impatience affects our unity. When we are impatient, we grumble against one another. We take it out on one another. We get irritable with one another. And James says, don't grumble. Why, why are we grumbling? Well, partially because we're suffering, we're struggling, we're impatient, and so we take it out on others. You have no right to take it out on others. 
You have no right to take it on, out on fellow brothers and sisters, fellow image bearers. You have no right to take it out on those Christ died for. Remember earlier in James, we said that everybody who enters in this space is either someone that God died for or someone that God has redeemed and saved. And we want to treat every person as though they are made in the image of God. We have no right to take our impatience out on fellow image bearers. So it impacts our unity. That's in verse 9. It also impacts our integrity. If you drop down to verse 12, James says, Above all, don't swear, not by heaven or by earth or anything else. All you need to say is yes or no. Apparently for some in the church, their suffering, their struggle, it, it made them hyperbolic. Maybe for some of them they were saying things like, uh, God, if you relieve this, I'll never do this again. I swear. God, if you, if you deliver me from this, I promise I'll always follow you faithfully the rest of my life. And James says, not, it's not necessary to do that. Don't compromise your integrity. You're a Christian. Your yes should mean yes. Your no should mean no. So impatience impacts our unity in verse 9 and our integrity in verse 12. Be patient. But James in verse 7 says, be patient then, brothers and sisters. And then he says this, he says, until. I love that he says, until. Because James wants you to know that you will not have to endure whatever you are enduring forever. Can I get an amen? There's always an until in the midst of your call to be patient. Be patient until, and then James points to the Lord's coming. He reminds his, the people that he's writing to that Christ has promised to come again. He reminds them that their hope is found in looking to Christ and his coming. So be patient, James says. Well, the question is how? And so this morning we're going to run quickly through Three examples that James gives us, and then three lessons from those examples. Three examples, and then three lessons about how we be patient. And the first one that he gives us, the first example he gives us, is the farmer. That's in verses 7 through 9. And notice that they're already struggling with wealthy landowners. Much of James's audience are people who are very familiar with farming. My father-in-law is an almond farmer. Some people say, um, uh, 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 they call them almonds. Um, but he calls them almonds, right? Just like you'd say uh, salmon, not salmon. Anyway, uh, you say almonds, he says, you say almonds, he says almonds. He's an almond farmer, and he has this be beautiful orchard, and he is, you know, he has been farming almonds for a long time. And if you ever drive up the uh, the, the, up California, you've just seen beautiful farmland, and it's amazing. And, um, and, and when you look at James, uh, he wants you to look at a picture of a farmer. Now, when I first met my father-in-law, I thought farming looked pretty easy. I thought, I thought I honestly, I thought you kind of tossed some seeds in the ground, and then you just waited, and then you got stuff. And it was easy, right? 
But the more I've learned about farming, the more I've known that that isn't true. Yes, there is waiting involved. You can't be an impatient farmer because farming is not fast food. There is, and a key component of farming is learning to wait well. A farmer does not plant seeds and then stare at the ground for 20 minutes and then walk into the home, you know, kick open the door, yell at his wife because it hasn't produced any fruit yet. That doesn't happen. Farmers know better. They know that part of being a farmer is being patient. In fact, if you look at the text, it says that the farmer waits for the autumn, um, the autumn and spring rains. So the farmer knows The ancient farmers knew you needed two sets of rain in order to be able to have crop. The first set of rains would come and that it would water the ground and it would create the the beginnings of what would ultimately be the crop. And then the farmer would have to wait for that second rain which would fill the crop out and create more of an abundance of fruit. But in the meantime... The farmer doesn't just simply wait, and here's my point here, waiting and being patient is not a passive activity. See, sometimes we think, I'm supposed to be patient. Okay, great. I'm just going to sit back and just let things happen. No, no, no. The farmer is not passive. The farmer is always working in the midst of waiting. And that's my first lesson from the farmer. If you are struggling to be patient, here's what I want to call you to do. Keep working while you're waiting. The the farmer has to keep cultivating, has to keep weeding, has to keep protecting, has to keep checking on his crop all throughout the seasons. The farmer keeps working. So too, our tendency in the midst of struggle is to throw up our hands. And you read a text like this that says, be patient. And we go, I guess God's just asking me just to sit around with my hands in my pockets and just merely endure. That's not the case. A great example of this in scripture is the apostle Paul. When he is put in jail, he can't get out of jail. But what does he do in jail? He prays, he writes, he encourages, he works. Keep working while you're waiting because what the farmer knows that we need to know is that the crop is worth the wait. Look again at what he says in James chapter 5. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop. God is working in your life something of great value. And it's difficult, but you cannot give up on it. Your marriage may be difficult right now. And you may have had so many fights with your spouse that you've come to the place where you say, you know what, it's just always going to be like this. Don't do that, brothers and sisters. Keep working on your marriages. You may have a difficult relationship with your child where they, 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 have, they don't want to talk to you or you just don't have that relationship. And you're tempted to say, you know what? I'm just going to cut my losses from here off. Don't do it. Keep praying. Keep working. Remain steadfast. The crop is worth the wait. Let me ask you this morning. 
What's difficult in your life that you are tempted to give up on that you need to get back to work on? The farmer, by looking at nature, the farmer reminds us to keep working while we're waiting. Then secondly, the second example that James uses is one of the prophet. Notice in verse 10, brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. The first example James uses is of the farmer. He wants you to look at nature. When you're struggling to be patient, look at nature. But the next two examples are both from Scripture. And I just want to pause here and remind you, especially if you're discouraged, that the right place to be looking for encouragement is in your Bible. Romans chapter 15, verse 4, says, Everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. If you are discouraged, James wants you to look in your Bible to the prophets. I'm reminding you, if you're discouraged, look in your Bible to find ways in which God has moved what God has done in order to find encouragement. And here, James draws us to two people. First, he draws us to, uh, to the prophets that come to my mind, right? He wants you to think of the prophets generally. I think of two. I think first of Hosea. Hard to imagine suffering more than Hosea. Hosea, God comes to him, and God says to Hosea, Hosea, you're going to marry a prostitute. Then she's going to be a prostitute. Then you're going to go get her back. Now, if I asked you how many of you want to sign up for that life, very few of you are going to sign up for that kind of life. And Hosea does it. And why? Because God says, Hosea, you're going to do this so that the people would see how faithful I am to them. Again, Hosea, that's not something you just sign up for. But does Hosea follow God faithfully in the midst of it? You bet he does. Does he give up on God? No, he does not. He is an example of one who has patience while suffering. The second one I think of is Jeremiah. Jeremiah is rejected. He is mistreated. He is thrown into a mud pit where he's almost killed. And both of these prophets, Jeremiah and Hosea, both of them go through tremendous difficulties and challenges, and both of them continue to proclaim the character and nature of the Lord, even in the face of their difficulty. Here's the lesson I want to draw out for us. If the farmer teaches us to keep working, the prophets teach us to keep speaking, to keep witnessing. Our tendency for some of us, I, I just know you well enough to know that some of the ways you're discouraged are directly connected to your desire to be faithful to the Lord. You've got challenging friendships, challenging relationships at work. 
You've got family members who they don't want to associate with you because you're Christian. You've got friends who don't want to talk to you because you're trying to follow Jesus. And it's, man, it is tempting when we experience persecution and difficulty. It is tempting to then say, you know what, I'm just going to become less faithful because what I desire is I really want that relationship. That's tempting. And I'm not saying you shouldn't want the relationship. I am saying continue to be faithful to the Lord in how you live your life so that your life, like Hosea the prophet, like Jeremiah the prophet, might be a testimony to God's faithfulness. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12 says that the godly will be persecuted. Jesus is the most loving person to ever live, and they hated him. And he says, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. We ought, as a church, to pray for courage. Some of you might be familiar with the, the different virtues that exist. There's different lists throughout history that people have made of the virtues. The Catholic Church has a list of the you know, cardinal virtues. And, um, uh, but, the, but courage is interesting because courage is required to practice all of the virtues. The poet and civil rights activist Maya Angelou once said, you can be kind and true and fair and generous and just and even merciful occasionally. But to be that time after time after time, you need courage. I am not naive enough to think that the kinds of difficulties we face as Christians here in Los Angeles is even remotely comparable to some of our missionaries who are currently serving in places where we cannot even mention on a live stream where they're at for fear that they would have their lives taken from them. But I meet with enough of you regularly to know that some of you are sort of terrified of following Jesus faithfully and publicly because of the kinds of repercussions you're afraid you might be on the receiving end of. And some of you are experiencing that some of you have tasted it and you have drawn back. I want to encourage you this morning, brothers and sisters, to as people who know the goodness of God, to continue to be faithful even in the face of a culture that does not want you to be. Keep speaking. Keep witnessing. Where are you tempted to go quiet? Where are you tempted to hide your love, your prayer, your passion, your faithfulness, your evangelism? Where are you tempted to be real quiet about the goodness and beauty of Jesus? Keep speaking as the prophets did. Third, our third and final example is of Job. Notice here in James 5 verse 11. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance. Again, Job is an example of someone who's persevered in Scripture. 
and you saw what the Lord finally brought about. Job loses everything. Job's got it worse than any of us. Look, I know some of us are facing very difficult things. None of us have got it Job-level bad. Some of us have lost children. Job had to bury 10. Job lost all of his possessions. Job lost his very health. And he did it all with a wife who, in his ear, was constantly telling him to curse God and die. And when we read Job, here's what's amazing about Job. We see that Job is going through this not because of his sin. So so let me just hear me, brothers and sisters, friends. Anybody who tells you that your suffering is because of your sin, that may be true, but that is not guaranteed to be true. And so let's do away with any of that prosperity gospel nonsense. Let's just be real honest. Job is enduring suffering. Why? So that he might develop the perseverance that God wants to begin and see come to life in him. Remember how James began in James 1? Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance so that you may be found lacking in nothing. Your your trials and difficulties are not, not always necessarily because of your sin. They might just be because God is working on something in your life that you're clinging on too much. Maybe you've made an idol out of something. You've you've placed something at the highest level of importance. Abraham waits and waits and waits and waits and waits for a son. God gives him a son, and then God says, give him back. Why? Well, maybe at least in part, because Abraham's temptation is to wait on something from God so that that thing would be the thing that he wanted most and no longer have a need of God. And God wants him to know, he wants you to know and me to know that there is no higher good that we could possibly have than God himself. So yes, God will sometimes irritate your love for something in order to help you see that that thing is a good thing, but it cannot be an ultimate thing. God must be your ultimate thing. Job complained, but here's what Job never stopped doing. He never stopped trusting God. Lost his kids, still trusted God. Lost his health, still trusted God. Lost his possessions, still trusted God. And we know how the story ends. God God eventually blesses Job richly, giving him twice what he lost. But in the midst of confusion, in the midst of despair, Job cries out in Job 13, 15, Though he slay me, I will yet hope in him. When you are struggling... You've got to learn to remind yourself of the character and faithfulness of God. Let me ask you, where are you tempted to give up this morning? What is the thing you're tired of praying about? What's the thing you're tired of working on? What's the thing you're afraid of confronting? Job teaches us to keep trusting.
In James chapter 5, we're told to be patient. And I was reflecting on patience this last week, and it hit me. We don't have to be patient forever, right? James says be patient until, and it hit me. There's no patience needed in heaven. That one day we're going to get to heaven and we won't need to be patient anymore. Because there's nothing we will need to endure when we get to heaven. Heaven is just about being in the presence of God. So whatever you're going through, it has an end in sight. And in the, mid, in the, in the midst of your frustration and difficulty... James remind us that just on the other side of the door stands our Lord, Jesus, the judge. He says that in verse 9. And as I was reflecting on that, Jesus standing just on the other side of the door, I was reminded of that great passage in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, where Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Whoever opens the door and invites me in, I will eat with them and dine with them. Some of you need to understand this morning that part of the struggle you're going through is to remind you of how desperately you can't fix it on your own and how you have been made by God to be in relationship with God, to be filled by God for God. That what you need is God. And for some of you, the reason that you're working on that thing and suffering and going through is because God's trying to remind you, you weren't made to do this on your own. You need me. Let me into your life. Invite me into the struggle. Will you let him in this morning? Will you trust him? For some of you, you're not Christian. If you're here this morning and you are not a Christian, I want you to, to, to hear this. God made you for a relationship with himself. That's why you exist. Your struggles and difficulties are real. They are directly connected to the reality that you live disconnected from God. And that God has every right to turn from you, but instead he turns towards you, sends Jesus to die on the cross for you, so that if you would believe in him, turn from your sins, trust in him, that he, the God who made you, would enter into you and transform you and make you new. And that's good news. Amen? So if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, make this the morning where you invite Jesus in. But to those of you who are struggling and suffering as Christians, be patient. The Lord makes pearls out of our problems. The Lord takes patient persistence and turns it into pearls. I know that I'm not the only one here this morning that's praying that the Lord would take our struggles and our difficulties and use them ultimately for his glory and for our benefit. Let's pray for that. Heavenly Father, I'm not naive. I know that I sit in a crowd this morning filled with people who have real difficulties. We have 
real problems in our homes, in our marriages, in our workplaces. Lord, here we have in this room husbands who are keeping secrets from their wives and wives who are keeping secrets from their husbands. We have brothers and sisters who have sinned against one another and they have failed to confess it or acknowledge it. We've got broken relationships. We've got difficulties and challenges. And Lord, we desperately want to turn to you and to trust you. But some of us are scared and some of us are exhausted. Help us this morning to see Jesus. Give us a big, beautiful vision of Christ. Help us in the midst of our waiting to be working like the farmer. Help us in the midst of our waiting to remain speaking and witnesses like the prophets. Help us in the midst of our waiting to trust you when things are not going the way we want them to. Help us to believe, Lord, that you are working our problems into pearls. Lord, help us to come before you this morning, surrendering to you, declaring that we trust you Jesus, we trust you. Jesus, we trust you. And we we ask that you would give us the patience we need. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen.